0: If you got your copy of God's Word, I hope that you do. Open up to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. We're going to be in verses 6 through 10 today. The title of our message is Genuine Disciple Making, Missional Rejoicing. Genuine Disciple Making, Missional Rejoicing. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. We're going to start by reading that text, so I'll give you just a moment to find it. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 verses 6 through 10. This is the word of God. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you. For this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live, if you are standing fast in the Lord. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you, for all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God. As we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. Let me ask you a question. What is it that puts a smile on your face? What is it that puts a smile on your face, especially after a really hard day? Maybe it's a good meal, or maybe it's uh, a kiss from your spouse, or a hug from your child, or from a grandchild, or uh, or maybe it's a good book, or a favorite TV show, or that little that little pet of yours that jumps up in your lap, and, and you just lo- love Holding that little cat or that dog, or I don't know, maybe somebody has a pet lizard or something, and it just puts a smile on your face. Um, uh, uh, maybe it's a long hot shower after a hard day of work. I don't know what it is, but but what what is it that puts a smile on your face at the end of a hard day? What what is it that is able to burst through the trials and difficulties of your current situation and, and lift your spirit and warm your heart and and strengthen you so that you're ready to get up and. And face the next day. Now, I, don't, I don't know exactly what your answer is to that. But I do know how we will answer that question if we are investing our lives in making disciples of Jesus. If we're striving to be obedient to Jesus' command to go and make disciples of all nations. If we're giving ourselves wholeheartedly to that mission, that mission of our King. If we are genuine disciple makers, then I think we're going to answer this way. We'll say, we'll say, the thing that bursts through the trials and difficulties of life, and the thing that lifts my spirit and warms my heart, the thing that puts a smile on my face and causes me to rejoice, even in the midst of the, the difficulties uh, of life, even in the midst of persecutions, that thing that puts that smile on my face is witnessing the faithfulness of the disciples that I am making. Thinking about those people that I'm pouring myself into and how they're faithfully following the Lord. That's what's going to fill me with just new life to face the next day, no matter the difficulties that the next day holds. In other words, genuine disciple makers live with a missional rejoicing, a missional rejoicing. They, They find their joy in accomplishing the mission of God, not in the alleviation of their trials and difficulties. So so a, a, a genuine disciple maker living with the missional rejoicing they are going to find their joy in the fact that they're making disciples not in their hardships disappearing. That's important for us to note. Brothers and sisters, we we must. We must pour ourselves into making disciples to the point that our joy is determined more by the faithfulness of the disciples that we're making than by our circumstances. We've got to pour ourselves into making disciples to the point that our joy is determined more by the faithfulness of disciples than our circumstances. We'll unpack that statement as we walk through this text. So the past couple of weeks, we've been uh, challenged by God's word to be genuine disciple makers. That's, that means to fully invest our lives and leading people to faith in Jesus, and then helping those people follow Jesus faithfully. In First Thessalonians chapter two, verse 17 through 20, we were challenged to pour ourselves into developing deep disciple-making relationships, because that's going to be what honors King Jesus when he returns. And then last week we looked at chapter three verses one through five, and we were challenged to pour ourselves into encouraging disciples to view suffering for Christ as normal so they will stand strong against the enemy. Today, as we look at verses 6 through 10, I want want us to be challenged to pour ourselves into making disciples to the point that our joy is determined more by those disciples and their, their faithfulness to the Lord than it is by our circumstances. Let me remind you briefly of the context of these verses. Remember, Paul and Silas preached the gospel in Thessalonica. Some people believed. Persecution broke out. Uh, non-believers. Some of them have been trying to trying to get the Thessalonians to walk away from the gospel. I mean, they they say, forget Paul, forget Silas, forget Timothy, forget this gospel that they're preaching, and and, and that persecution is real. It's hard. And so uh, Paul is longing to get back to them. We've been looking at that. He wants to see them. He wants to get back to encourage them, uh, but he can't. He's being hindered from that. And so he sends Timothy, and we looked at that last week. He sends Timothy to them so that Timothy can find out how are they doing? How are they doing in their walk with the Lord? Are they continuing to follow Jesus faithfully? Now, remember that you have to remember this context. This is important. Paul is writing this letter to people who have trusted in Jesus Christ. And he's, he wants to help them follow Jesus well. But that context is important because you can't follow Jesus well if you've never believed in Jesus for salvation. So the first step in all of this is to help somebody come to faith in Christ before you can help them follow Jesus well. The first step to you and me following Jesus well is for us to come to faith in Christ. And so if you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want to tell you that Jesus died on the cross for your sins in your place. And the only way to have forgiveness of your sins, the only way to have eternal life is to trust in Jesus for salvation, to believe that he died in your place. And if you'll trust in him, repent of your sins, turn from your sins and turn to Jesus Christ. He will save you. That's the people that Paul is writing to. They have believed that gospel message. And we left off last week, Paul is describing his deep concern that Satan might have used the persecution the Thessalonian believers were facing to tempt them to walk away from their faith. And so the question hanging in the air at the end of last week was this, have the Thessalonians stood firm in their faith or have they been shaken in their faith? Remember, that, that's the question that's kind of hanging in there. That's what Timothy went to find out. But we don't, know what, we don't know what the report is yet when we left off in verse 5. Now, we've already read the passage. We read it a few minutes ago, so you already know the answer. They have stood firm. Praise God, they have not been shaken in their faith. And as Paul responds to this good news, we're going to learn three more things today about being a genuine disciple maker. The first is this. Disciple makers connect their lives deeply to the faithfulness of disciples. Disciple makers connect their lives deeply to the faithfulness of disciples. We see this in verses 6, 7, and 8. If you notice the the beginning of verse 6, Paul uses this contrasting word, but. And he uses that to set the tone for these verses. In verse 1 through 5, he was very concerned. But now he is comforted. He has a renewed sense of life. He is thankful. He is full of joy. And what has led to this rejoicing? Well, Timothy has come, come back with news that the Thessalonians are, are following Jesus faithfully. Look there in verse 6. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you. Now, Paul really is 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 comforted because of two things. He's celebrating two things. There's two two uh, ways that we can look at this uh, good news that has come from Timothy. First is uh, is their relationship with God, and second is the Thessalonians' relationship to Paul and Sylvanus and Timothy. And we see both of these there in verse 6. So let's start with their relationship with God. There was good news concerning their relationship with God. It says that Timothy brought good news of your faith and love. This word faith was used uh, two times back in verses 1 through 5. It's used three times in verses 6 through 10. It's an important word in this passage. The faith of the Thessalonians was at the heart of Paul's concern for them. Now it's at the heart of his reason for rejoicing because of them. Their faith has not been shaken. Their faith has not been moved. They are continuing to believe in Jesus as the Christ, the son of the living God. And when you are pouring yourself into making disciples, that is the best news that you could hear. That those disciples are not being shaken in their faith. But Paul also mentions the word love there. He says good news concerning your faith and your love. What does love have to do with this? Well, Where the word faith has more to do with right belief, you're believing the right thing, Paul uses the word love to refer to right action that flows from right belief. So if I believe the right thing about Jesus, then I'm going to live the right way. What one word should summarize the life of a follower of Jesus? Love. We have been deeply loved by Jesus, and so we now love others deeply so the Thessalonians are standing firm in their belief in Jesus, and they're continuing to live for Jesus as seen in their love for one another. One writer said this, that faith and love are the sum of godliness, the sum of godliness. Paul basically said the same thing uh, in his letter to the Galatians. Um, and he wrote this. He said in chapter 5, verse 6 of Galatians, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. That's how Paul described the what it means to be a Christian, faith in Jesus, and that faith is at work in us producing love for one another. And so Paul is excited that the Thessalonians are faithfully following Jesus, even in the midst of persecution. That's what he's saying there. Good news concerning your faith and love. You are faithfully following Jesus. But he's not just excited about their relationship with the Lord, that vertical relationship. He's also thankful and excited for their relationship with Jesus, he, he and, and Silvanus and Timothy. Remember that the people in Thessalonica, Thessalonica were talking bad about Paul and his companions. So there's this danger that this good relationship that they built has now been broken. And there's this distrust between Paul and Silvanus and Timothy on one hand and the Thessalonians on the other hand. Because they've been getting fed all of this false information about these, uh, these three guys. So he's concerned. Did they still care about? Us? Do they still love us? Did they still? Are we still friends? Are we family in the Lord? Good news, they are. Notice, notice that phrase: that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you. When he hear, when Timothy comes back and says, "Listen, not only are they loving Jesus and loving others and following Jesus, well, they still love us like." They haven't been listening to all, all the all the false information that's been given them. They they in fact they are longing to see us as much as we are longing to see them, and this fills Paul with joy. And it's not just a superficial, shallow happiness that Paul experiences when he hears the report. Notice verse seven. For this reason, brothers, in it's important here in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. Again, he mentions that word faith, the faith of the Thessalonians, and says that he's comforted or or encouraged uh, by this. He and his companions are encouraged. This is the same word that Paul used back in verse 2 when he said that he was sending Timothy to them to establish and exhort them in the faith or encourage them in the faith. It's the word, as we said last week, that has to do with being strengthened so that you can press onward in your walk with Jesus. Now, We can see clearly why the Thessalonians would need that. I mean, they're being persecuted. They need to be exhorted. They need that comfort that will lead them to persevere in their faith. But they're not the only ones. Paul and his companions, they're suffering as well. They're experiencing persecution in all our distress and affliction. In all That, that word, that, the, both of those words mean to have this pressure coming in from the outside. And that word, uh, affliction, your translation may say, uh, uh, use a different word there. It's the same word that Paul used in the previous passage, and it's, it means persecution. Some of your translations may even use that word, persecutions. He's talking about being persecuted. Paul and his companions themselves are being persecuted. So Paul's saying, we're being persecuted, we're under pressure, we are distressed, our circumstances are extremely difficult, however... However, news of your faithfulness has lifted us up and warmed our hearts and given us strength to continue living for Jesus. Please don't miss what is happening here. Paul is connecting his joy, his joy. He's connecting his joy to the faithfulness of the disciples he is seeking to make instead of to his circumstances. He is experiencing joy in the midst of hardship, and that joy is connected to his obedience to the Great Commission. So often we connect our joy to our circumstances. So often we connect whether or not we have joy in our hearts to how good or bad things are around us. I do that. I'm sure you're tempted to do that as well. If we're having a good day, then we feel joyful. If we're having a bad day, we don't feel joyful. But that's not how genuine disciple-makers function. Genuine disciple-makers connect their lives so deeply to the mission of God and thus to the disciples that they're making in obedience to that mission that they're able to rejoice at the faithfulness of disciples even in the midst of suffering persecution. It's kind of, I think maybe it's kind of like a mother in labor who is able to have joy in her heart and Maybe, maybe even a quick, very quick smile on her face, even in the midst of the pain and difficulty of labor, when she hears the doctor say, everything's going well, this baby looks fine, is doing great. I mean, even in the midst of there's that sense of joy when she hears that good news. That one she cares deeply about is doing well. Now, if that's not enough to convince us of how deeply Paul's joy is connected to the faithfulness of the disciples, just look at verse 8 real quick. Look there at verse 8. He says, for now we live. I mean, he just keeps piling it on. For now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. It's almost as though Paul is saying life is so hard for us right now as followers of Jesus. But it's like breath in our lungs when we hear that you are standing fast in the Lord. I wonder, I wonder if the reason so many Christians seem to often struggle for breath in their spiritual lives, I wonder if it's because uh, their lives and their, and their joy has become so attached to, to something other than the mission of God that they're not experiencing the joy of the Christian life like, like they should be. And I'm saying they, but I can be just as guilty of that as well. It's, it's me. Well, what do we connect our joy to? I wonder, I wonder if people, if followers of Christ attach their joy maybe to a comfortable lifestyle. Maybe they've attached their joy to fitting in with the world around them. Maybe they've attached their joy to material possessions or to worldly success. And they're expecting those things to give them breath in their lungs. But like, like a fish out of water, Christians cannot thrive breathing that kind of air. We've got to be breathing the air of obedience to the mission of God. But here's the thing. It's not just worldly things that we attach our joy to and that can distract us from making disciples. Sometimes it's churchy things. You know what I mean by churchy things? the things that we do as a church things that that we call the, the church things that we do and i don't mean, I mean there can be good things but the things that if you weren't involved in the church you probably wouldn't be doing those so the things in your life that are the, the church things in your life the churchy things okay i'll maybe give a couple examples in a minute sometimes it's our churchy things that can actually distract us from Finding our joy in making disciples. Sometimes we celebrate traditions and programs and social get-togethers and big events and, and, and record attendance, all the while not actually producing faithful disciples of Jesus. None of those things are bad in and of themselves, but if we're not producing faithful disciples of Jesus, we can't say that we are being obedient to the mission of God. We might attach our joy to having perfect attendance in Sunday school while at the same time not actually growing in our involvement in the mission of God. There's nothing wrong with coming to Sunday school. We should. You should come as much as you can. Come all the time. But if, you're, if you if you just come and show up and you're not actually growing in your involvement in the mission of God, then you might celebrate the fact that you're coming, but are you rejoicing in making disciples? We might attach our joy to a certain church schedule when that schedule is really just keeping us busy instead of actually advancing the kingdom of God. And so, church, we have to always beware of rejoicing in and celebrating our churchy accomplishments without ever actually making faithful disciples of Jesus. Our church life should be ordered around the goal of effective and genuine disciple making, not just doing things just to do things. But all too often we try to fit disciple making into our our preset and unchanging way of doing church. And what we're left with is rejoicing in something that really is a far cry from the mission of Jesus. Jesus. We might pat ourselves on the back for the things we do as a church, but but we might. There's just this temptation. I'm not saying we're doing that. I'm just saying there's always this temptation that we would rejoice in something, that we would celebrate something that Jesus really isn't rejoicing in. Because Jesus rejoices when disciples are made. When we place our faith in Jesus for salvation, God does this incredible work in our lives. He lifts us out of the muck and the mire of our sin. He sits us up on a higher plane where eternal things drive us, and the mission of God is the air that we breathe, not the things of this world, and not even, even what could sometimes turn into selfish things or self-promoting things, even in the church, when we should be breathing obedience. To God's mission. Maybe the reason we don't experience the joy we should experience as followers of Jesus is that we're not connecting our joy to making disciples. We're not connecting our joy to the spiritual growth of other believers. So, what do we learn in these, these three verses here? We should be rejoicing in the spiritual growth of the disciples we make, regardless of our circumstances. And that's the thing. Disciples can grow regardless of circumstances. So we always, if we're making disciples, we always have reason to rejoice, no matter what life is doing around us. That's the good news of these three verses. But there's two dangers. Okay, spend a good bit of time on those three verses. And then we're going to look at this last couple of verses and just notice two two dangers here that as we rejoice in making disciples, we have to beware of two things. The first danger is pride. That's the first danger that we see here. And the antidote for pride is making sure that we give God the credit. So the second description for us today of genuine disciple makers is this. Disciple makers credit God as they rejoice in the faithfulness of disciples. So by God's grace, we'll be, we'll be making disciples, but then who do we give the credit to? Well, we have to give the credit to God. And in, in Paul's rejoicing, has he forgotten God? We could ask this question, is he rejoicing in his own ability as a disciple maker? Or is he rejoicing in the Thessalonians' ability to follow Jesus well? Nope. Nope. Not, not at all. That's not what he's rejoicing in. And it's not, that's not where he's giving the credit. Paul immediately here in this passage breaks into thanksgiving as he rejoices in this good news of the Thessalonians' faith. And his thanksgiving is directed toward God. He says in verse 9, For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you? For all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God. It's the third time in, in, uh, in this letter that Paul is giving thanks. If you look back at chapter 1, verse 2, he gave thanks there for the salvation of the Thessalonians, which he could tell by the way that they were living their lives that they had, they had uh, trusted in Christ and God had rescued them from their sin. Then in chapter 2, verse 13, he gave thanks that the Thessalonians received the Word of God, not as the Word of men, but as the Word of God, which it really is, he says there in chapter 2. Now, in chapter 3, he's giving thanks for their perseverance in the faith in the midst of persecution. That's a lot of thanksgiving while Paul is under lots of distress and affliction. If you think about it. That's a lot of thanksgiving while he is suffering for the cause of Christ. He truly is finding his joy in something other than his circumstances. Um, but but let, let's look here at, at, at verse 9. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you? For all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God. As he, as, he, as he experiences joy, I mean, in all our distress and affliction, he has all joy. I mean, the, the comparison there, I think that's, 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 that's key. All our distress and affliction, and yet all our joy we feel for your sake. And in the midst of it, he gives thanks to God. Why God? Why God? Well, because God is the one who deserves the credit. For that which has given Paul reason to rejoice, namely the unwavering faith of the Thessalonian believers, Paul is being persecuted. He hears the disciples. He is seeking to make in Thessalonica are standing firm in their faith in Jesus. This fills his heart with joy, and it causes him to give thanks to God because God is ultimately responsible for the faithfulness of God. God uses us. We are a key player. He uses us, but we are merely a tool in the hand of God. And so any progress in the faith that we see a disciple making, we cannot give ourselves or that person the credit. Only God can receive the credit. Do you remember, I keep going to this verse, but you should have it memorized by the time we get to the end of 1 Thessalonians. But you remember uh, chapter 5, verse 24. He who calls you is faithful, he will do it. He will do it. memorize that verse. If you don't memorize any other verse in in 1 Thessalonians, memorize this verse. One, it's just really easy. You may have already memorized it because I keep talking about it. But he who calls you is faithful. He will do it. Paul never loses sight of the fact that God is the one who does it. Even though Paul has worked really hard, he's pouring himself out so that the Thessalonians will grow in their faith, he still, still says God did it. God's doing it. He is the one who gets the credit. And so we must always be on guard as we engage in disciple making that we never exalt ourselves or those whom we disciple over and above God, who is really the one doing the work. Yeah, it would be tempting. It would be tempting to, for Paul to swell with pride at this point as he hears of the Thessalonians' faithful. I mean, just think about it. He's been concerned. He went and preached the gospel. He's concerned. Are they following the Lord? Timothy comes back. It would be really tempting for him to hear that good news and go. Well, you know, I guess it really shouldn't surprise me after all that they're standing firm in the faith. I mean, we really did a good job preaching the gospel to them. I mean, just think about it, Sylvanus and Timothy. I mean, we did, we did a, we did a great job. And even though we had to leave kind of quickly, uh, that discipleship strategy that we left with them, I mean, it's, it's state of the art. It's innovative. I mean, if they, I mean, following those steps, there's, there's no doubt about it. They're going to, they're going to stand firm in their faith. I mean, just look, look at the materials that we left with them. He could have said that, but he didn't. He gave thanks to God. They, they, Paul, Sylvanus, and Timothy could have, could have thanked one another, right? They could have jumped around and gave one another high-fives, which maybe they did, but then said, man, you did a good job. Oh, no, you did a good job. No, Sylvanus, it was you. No, no, Timothy, you're the one who did And just congratulated one another and gave thanks to one another. But they didn't do that. They gave thanks to God. Why? Because God is the one who saves us. God is the one who sanctifies us. And God is the one who sustains us to the end. God does it all. And so we must give him the credit. I think Paul said it so well when he wrote to the Corinthians. I love this passage of Scripture. Anytime we are tempted, and I say this for myself, I hope it encourages you, anytime we're tempted to, to take any credit at all for our own salvation or the, 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 the work that we do in somebody else's life. When I mean, There's somebody in your life that you've poured into and, and they're, they're following the Lord and, and you're just at all tempted to think, hey, I, I must have done a good job there. Listen to these words that Paul wrote to the Corinthians. He said, what then is Apollos? as one of his fellow ministers of the gospel. What is Paul? Servants through whom you believe. As the Lord assigned to each, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. See, Apollos said he said, I yeah I did a lot of work for you Corinthians, but I'm nothing. I am nothing. God is the one who gave the growth. While we want our reason for rejoicing in this life to be deeply connected to our participation in the mission of God by making disciples, we never want to view ourselves as the root of growth of the disciples God gives us the privilege of making. We are not the root. God is the unseen root without which there would never be any fruit-producing disciples. So we rejoice in the faithfulness of the disciples we make, but we give God all the credit and glory and thanksgiving because he is actually the one who does it. But I said two dangers. The first danger was pride. Second danger is complacency. Second danger is complacency. So here's, here's a third description today of genuine disciple makers. Disciple makers continue encouraging growth even as they celebrate current faithfulness in disciples. Disciple makers continue encouraging growth even as they celebrate current faithfulness in disciples. And we see this in the last verse of our passage for today. So, while verse 9 helps protect us against the danger of pride as we rejoice in the faithfulness of disciples, verse 10 helps protect us from the danger of complacency as we rejoice in the faithfulness of disciples. Paul continues this, this question. He, he says in, uh, in verse number 10, As we pray, so we're rejoicing but, and we're giving thanks to God. But as we give thanks, we're also praying. As we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. So right in the middle of Thanksgiving, he's giving thanks. He said, I, don't even, I can't even put into words how, how incredibly thankful to God I am. And yet at the same time I'm giving thanks, I'm praying to God and asking for something. That word there for pray is, the, is a word that really means to ask or to beg for something. And that word is combined with a very strong word that, that tr- is translated like most earnestly. And then it's got the words night and day. And so so in the midst of giving thanks, Paul and Timothy and Silvanus are constantly and earnestly begging God for something. What is it? What are they earnestly and constantly begging God for in the midst of giving thanks for the faithfulness of the disciples? Well, it's an opportunity to see them face to face. So I'm not going to say much about that phrase, but just remember, how many times have we seen that face to face? Like personal interaction, it just keeps popping up. We've got to be personally involved in one another's lives to make disciples. But I want to go on to that last phrase. They want to see them face to face so that they can supply what is lacking in Their faith. What is he talking about there? Well, I I think maybe you you could kind of paraphrase it this way. He's saying this. Listen, Thessalonians, we are so excited about how well you're doing in your faith. I mean, you're following the Lord in the midst of persecution, but there's still room for growth. There's still room for you to grow in your faithfulness to Jesus, and we want to be a part of helping you grow. Paul, this is, I, I love this. As I've been studying this passage, and, and by the way, I'm, just, I'm learning so much as, as we go through First Thessalonians. It's, man, it's, it's just awesome. I'm being challenged by so much. And one of the things that just jumped out at this uh, this last phrase here is that Paul is still in the disciple-making mode even as he celebrates the growth and the faithfulness of the Thessalonians. Like He's celebrating, but he's still in disciple-making mode. I said that this verse helps protect us from complacency, and here's what I mean by that. Just like it would have been tempting for Paul and Silvanus and Timothy to go, wow, we sure did a good job. All right. And take all the credit for themselves. At the same time, it would have been tempting for them to say that it also would be tempting at this point for them to say, well, boys, our job in Thessalonica is done. It's over. They're faithfully following the Lord. They face some persecution. They're standing firm in their faith. Our job here is done. They don't do that. They don't do that. While Paul celebrated the victory, he knew that the war for their hearts was still raging. It was still real and they were still going to be tempted to walk away. They're still going to be tempted to, to follow after the ways of the world and not follow after Jesus. Genuine disciple makers must be like a good commanding general who celebrates with his troops the current victory and yet quickly reminds them that the enemy is still out there. And there's still work to do. Although the troops have come a long way in their training, there's still room for growth. There's still more training to be done. So Paul didn't let the celebration turn into complacency in the mission of making disciples. And listen, neither should we. While he was thankful for the Thessalonians' faith and love, before the letter is finished, he's going to correct some of their wrong thinking about their belief. And he's going to encourage them to step it up a little bit more in the way that they're loving one another. There's one, one way in particular they're not loving one another well. Maybe a couple of ways, and we'll see those in chapter 4 and 5. So he's still not done teaching and correcting and encouraging. And neither are we ever done with the disciples that we are making because there's always room for growth. What do we learn? What do we learn from all of this as we seek to make disciples? Let's let's put a couple of application points um, in, our, in, our, in our minds for us. A lot of things that we a lot of ways we can apply this. Let me just give you a couple. I think one thing that we learn from this is we don't have to wait till someone is following Jesus perfectly to celebrate their growth. Like there's still room for growth, but he's still celebrating the growth that they've experienced. We don't have to wait till somebody is following Jesus perfectly to celebrate with them how God is working in their lives. Let me give you an example from my own life. I've always struggled with the sin of impatience. I've always, it's always something I struggle with. Maybe if you've been around me, some, you've, you've seen that exhibited. And, um, and uh, I apologize for that. It's one of the many ways I am prone to wonder, as the hymn writer says. Um, and, uh, and so, but, yeah, I remember coming home from school one day, and I found this note on my bed. I, was, I, I don't know, I was probably in elementary school, maybe like, I don't remember, nine years old, maybe we'll just say that, nine, nine years old, something like that. I came home and found a note on my bed from my mom, and in the note, she told me that she could tell that I was getting better at being patient with my sisters. That's what what the note said. You're getting better at being patient with with your sisters. Now, looking back at that, looking back at that, I realized that was like celebrating making it the first 50 yards of a 500-mile race. (laughs) I mean, it's like like I made it 50, 50 yards. Like, man, you are doing awesome. Like, you know how much further I've got to go? Now, I didn't realize that at the time, right? But looking back, I'm like... I'm pretty sure my mom had to use a spiritual magnifying glass to even see any improvement in that area of my life at that time. I'm I'm, I'm not joking. There's no way that there was a lot of improvement yet. Um, I was a very new believer. But here's the thing. That didn't stop her from celebrating the progress that she saw that I was making as a new believer in Christ. God used that little note to remind me that patience did not come naturally to me, <laughs> right? There's kind of that other hidden agenda in there. That's um, not it's not a bad thing. He used that note to remind me, hey, patience is something you struggle with. We notice that. Your family notices that. Um, I noticed that. as your mom. Your sister notices that. Your dad notices it. Um, so it, it, God used that note to remind me that I struggle with that, but it also, God used that note to remind me that I could, keep getting better and better as I kept trusting the Lord and kept allowing the Lord to, to work in in my life. My, I'm so thankful that my mom didn't wait until there was zero room for improvement to celebrate this growth in my walk with the Lord. So I just wonder, I just wonder, is there, a Christian, is there another follower of Jesus who maybe you've witnessed some growth in their walk with the Lord and you could just speak a word of encouragement to them? I mean, maybe somebody in your family, it doesn't have to be, it could be somebody you go to church with or a friend. You, you just experienced some, some growth in their walk with the Lord. Hey, encourage them with that. Even if it's not perfect, even if they're not perfectly following the Lord in that area of their life, encourage them. Encourage them. You never know how, how, how much a difference that will make. Disciple makers rejoice at the growth of the disciples, not the perfection of disciples. But, but in the second application, I said I want to mention a couple of applications. The second is this. Um, even as we celebrate growth, we don't lay down our work gloves because there's still work to do, right? We, there, there's still work to do. We, we don't wait for perfection to celebrate but we always have perfection as the goal. Remember what God's standard is. God's standard is holiness like He is holy. First Peter uh, chapter 1, we find these words, but as He who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. and it, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Listen, my mom celebrated that little bit of growth in my life, but she didn't stop correcting me and, tra- and training me and teaching me um, in that area of my life. She saw some growth, but she kept on discipling me. We don't want to become complacent. Instead, we want to press on toward the goal, as Paul wrote to the Philippians, and we want to help those we disciple do the same. It doesn't matter how much growth we've experienced. It doesn't matter how faithful we are to Jesus at this point in our lives. There's always still room for improvement. One writer said it this way, We learn from this that those who far outdistance others are still a long way from their goal. It's good for us to remember, especially those who have been following Jesus for a while, who have been a Christian for a while. Even if we far out distance others, there's still a long way to go to the goal. Now, um, last week I spoke a specific word of application to our parents who are raising children right now. And I want to do the same this week, um, just because I think that... The, the home is not the only place that disciples are made, but it is one of the key places that disciples are made for the glory of God. It's, it's key. It's, it's, it's absolutely essential. So I just want to give a, a quick uh, application to, to our parents for just a moment. Parents, just be sure. You're probably already thinking this in your mind, uh, especially with the illustration that I, that I gave. But just parents, be sure that you're celebrating small steps of spiritual growth in the lives of your children. It will encourage them. Don't wait until they've, they've just grown up, you know a ton in that area of your life, go ahead and encourage with those small steps of growth that you see. But at the same time, don't think that just because they've experienced some growth or even great growth in their walk with the Lord, because they are better than all the other kids their age, that they no longer need your presence as a disciple maker in their lives. The way that you disciple your 10-year-old believing child is going to look different than the way that you disciple your 17 year old believing child. Uh, but that 17-year-old still needs you to speak the truth of God's word into his or her life. Um, and I'll just throw this in there as well, it's an application for the the children: uh, receive that discipleship from your parents with joy. Receive it with joy. Uh, be thankful uh, for that in your in your life. Um, I know, looking back, I'm so thankful for that in my life. Sometimes it doesn't. It's not fun. <laughs> when when a parent corrects or, or trains but it's good and so be thankful for that um, uh, young people and, and children but the application isn't just for parents we're all called to make disciples it's the mission to which god has called every single christian i can't emphasize that enough guys and gals I, every believer is to be a disciple maker all of us are, are to be in, encouraging other believers. Helping share the gospel with people and then helping those who believe the gospel grow in their faith. It is the mission to which God has called all of us. And and he, listen, this is what I want us to kind of leave on thinking about. It's a mission of rejoicing. I mean notice notice the tenor of this of this passage. Even though Paul's suffering, even though Thessalonians Thessalonians are suffering, they're rejoicing. He's filled with joy, rejoicing in the faithfulness of disciples, regardless of our circumstances, rejoicing by giving thanks to the God who gives us faith and preserves our faith, rejoicing in the privilege of continuing to be a tool of spiritual growth in the lives of others. So what is it that puts a smile on your face in the midst of the difficulties of life? What is it? I hope, I hope that you can say, I hope that I can say, it's the faithfulness of the disciples. That we are making for the glory of God. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you so much for our time and your word today. Uh, God, what a, what a challenging passage. And at the same time, what, a, what an encouraging passage. Lord, that we get to be a part of something that, that can fill us with joy even in the midst of the difficulties of life. And so, God, I just pray that over the next next couple of minutes, as we, as we spend, spend a little bit of time thinking about how this passage applies to our lives, Father, I just pray that you would help us to, uh, to, to really examine our lives in light of this, this text from your word. And, and Father, I pray that you, we would ask, ask you, Father, what, what am I attaching my joy to? Is it, is it being obedient to the mission that you called me to, or is it something else? Father, show me some ways that I can encourage others in their walk with the Lord. Father, help me not be prideful. Help me not be complacent. Protect me from those things as as I rejoice in the privilege of getting to be a part of making disciples for your glory. Father, may that be our prayer of the next, next couple of minutes as we reflect on this passage in Jesus' name. Amen.